Welcome, friends and colleagues. As we approach the end of the first grand narrative of Genesis, creation and the making of men, we notice that there are certain words which are very common and repetitive and repeating many times in this narratives in this narrative and what i mean by that is that the word life chai chaim chayot meaning uh, wild animals chaya repeat much more in this section than they are found in other sections this has significance uh, for example uh, there is uh, there are w- certain words that repeat in certain narratives and not others we talked about the stones repeating in the Jacob narrative uh, another example would be the word vehubar uh, Jonathan Grossman uh, points out that the word is very rarely found anywhere but in the narrative of the building of the tabernacle it's there all the time and it's the preferred word used it could have been for example the word davak to cling but it's always the chobar joined so that just the choice of words which which are selected to be repeated uh, tells us a great deal about the intent of the narrative and since we're interested in what it tells not necessarily what it says that is an important fact and of course our narrative ends with the fact that the woman became the mother of all life called chai again this word is found here so uh, to understand this i want to introduce a concept which we've mentioned a number of times i want to delve into it a little bit more and that is that uh, reading the hebrew bible is unlike the experience of reading other things what do i mean by that is that the western world is used to two kinds of uh, readings there is that in the hebrew bible but there's also the third one so what are these ways one is reading from beginning to end reading forward uh, an example would be uh, the, the great uh, European novel, which starts at a particular time and then chronologically develops. You keep on reading forward, it tells a story. The way we often imagine the story needs to be, but it doesn't need to be that way. So a story starts at a certain time, uh, and sequentially, chronologically, uh, it develops and then it ends. That's one kind of reading. There's another kind of reading which is backwards. An example would be a very common type of a short story. Let's take oh, Henry did this a lot and many other short story writers. And, and the forum itself almost calls for that. Because you cannot say too much and tell too big of a story uh, in a short uh, story format. But you can, towards the end, change the entire understanding of a story so it's very common that the story tells you something that you think you understand where it's going and suddenly at the end you see a twist that throws a different light on everything the right way to read that kind of a story 
is to go backwards once you read the end and see how the author foreshadows and sprinkles hints which you overlook. It's a finely crafted piece of fiction and to truly appreciate it, you have to read backwards. And there's a third way which is found very much in, in Tanakh, especially in the five books of Moses, which is reading to the middle. What that means is that you read forward and you read backwards and you find the key to <coughs> the narrative in the middle of the story. Uh, one example would be chiastic structure, which I've said I will talk about, but haven't gotten to yet, but we will. And that is an arrangement such as A, B, C, D, and then backwards C apostrophe, B apostrophe, A apostrophe, in which the beginning and the end correspond, the B section second and the next to last section correspond. You'll find the same words, you'll find the same ideas, and uh, at, in the middle is the key to the whole story. So with that in mind, I looked for the key in this story of Genesis, and I thought that there are two ways to do this. One is to start from creation, from the very first verse. Count up the number of verses and see what's in the middle. If we do that, we find that the middle verse is, and man became a living soul. That's this word, the word that signifies life, and which is sprinkled much more through this section than anywhere else. The other way to do this, which I think is also valid, is to skip chapter 1, which is the story of creation, but a little bit differently connected, as we discussed, and, and start with uh, chapter 2, and count out the number of verses, select the middle one, and what we find is uh, about uh, men and women, which is another theme. As, as, as I mentioned many times, I believe that there are multiple stories going on at the same time, uh, somewhat explanatory to explain how the world came to be, how the uh, rivers came to be, uh, how agriculture came to be, to work the garden, uh, how humanity uh, found itself a place, etc., etc. There is the overarching story of the entire of Pentateuch, which is uh, falling apart and reconstruction, problems, solutions, and the ultimate solution of the creation of the Jewish people as God's vehicle to the world. Uh, there are multiple little stories to tell you about men and women, how they relate, who they are, etc., etc. But this kind of an approach identifies two main stories. And the two main stories are about life. What does it mean to live? What is the purpose of life? And uh, the story of a man and woman. And the two are connected because the this section ends with and the woman uh, Chava was uh, the mother of all life. It, it tells you about immortality immortality of the species, uh, man and woman lived, so was supposed to live forever, 
but they disobeyed. And now, as individuals, they do not live forever. But as humanity, uh, they live forever. And that focuses us on the family as the most important fulfillment of men's and women's role. Passing on life, maintaining the family, maintaining the generations, is life itself. Now, what, why, why is that this is, that is such a strange uh, way of reading, reading to the middle? So, uh, I think we need to step back to the difference, which I also mentioned, never spoke about at length, between Greek and Hebrew thinking. And for those who want to see a little discussion of that, without reference to all the literature that has come before, you can look at Robert Alter's introduction to the uh, the to his book on biblical narrative, the art of biblical narrative, which is a pretty strong book, which I recommend. There is also he wrote uh, the art of biblical poetry, which I found much weaker. Uh, and of course, Robert Alter is well known for translating the entire Bible into English. He's a professor of, of English literature and there's a multi-decade project, uh, and he translated it with different techniques than used in the past, not so much for accuracy, but more for impact, which required him to also somewhat engage in the questions of form, construction, and meaning, to be able to try to bring those elements into English. So it's a good work, but very limited and very non-traditional. So, reading in the middle requires rereading. And why are we asking that of the reader? Because uh, we are inundated with books and information. In our world, there are so many more books to read. So, if we manage to read one book, we go into the next. That was not the case in the ancient times. That's not to say that there were no books. The Tanakh itself mentions 24 books that we no longer have, such as, say, for Hayashar, the book of Yashar, various histories, say, for Hamim Lamalchem Adayu Paras, or uh, the, the book of, uh, of histories of Media and Persia, or of the kings of Israel, and uh, various collections of prophecies, uh, they all seem to have been lost. So there were books, there were books, but there weren't that many. And the way you read the book was to treasure it and read it lovingly, carefully, uh, back and forth into the middle, and many, many times. Kind of like uh, religious people read the Bible nowadays. Uh, you read it over and over again, or you should. Then you begin to see patterns, you begin to see the construction. This is an important point, because it undermines biblical criticism. Biblical critics entered the study of the Bible thinking that it was a novel. Uh, they read it forward, and when you read it forward, you see many features that are just not like the great Western European novel. Things repeat. Things repeat uh, in, in adjoining verses. Things repeat in different sections. <coughs> this back and forth. Uh, uh, the natural conclusion that they came to was that 
It's a conflation of multiple sources. But when you realize that it's not meant to be read that way, and in fact it's a very unique book, there is nothing like it in, in the New East. Some people say there are some features which are similar in terms of this construction. There are some works that uh, tend to have repetitions, a Gilgamesh story, for example. But it, it's certainly not, not in any way as sophisticated and as complete as in the Bible that we possess. This whole approach is fairly new. It's called form criticism. It has nothing to do with criticizing. It's just a way of reading. Do you try to determine the beginning, the end, the structure? Is it chiastic structure, or is it a, a more work A B C D A apostrophe B apostrophe C apostrophe D apostrophe, or some other form? And from that. You can take the next step, which I take in this course, which is seek for meaning in this kind of construction. Um, I want to give you an example of how the sages approach it in a similar way. <clears throat> uh, we're dealing now with Leviticus 10, 1 to 3. Nadav and Avihu, sons of Aaron, died because they offered strange fire before the Lord. But it doesn't say why. And I'll briefly discuss six ways in which the sages have approached figuring out why, of which only two are relevant to our discussion, reading forwards and reading backwards. So I will focus on those two. Now, uh, I caution that you could make a distinction between the way we're reading Genesis right now and the approach of the sages, because in Leviticus there is a gap. We just don't know why sons of Aaron died. We're not told that. In Genesis, this seems to be telling you a complete story. But in truth, it's the same thing. Gaps is, as we discussed in the introduction, we talk about Eric Auerbach's work, Mimesis, first chapter. Gaps is how the whole biblical writing works. And that's why it's so persuasive, because it enrolls the reader in interpreting, filling in the gaps, and interpreting the meaning of what the reader encounters. So it gives it special persuasive power. Uh, not understanding what the story in Genesis is telling you is also a gap. And therefore I think it's very justifiable to compare the two cases. So let's read the verses in Vaikra in Leviticus, and Nadav and Avihu, sons of Aaron, took both of them, or either of them, his censer, and put fire thereon, and offered strange fire before the Lord, which he commanded them not. And there went out fire before the Lord, devoured them, and they died before the Lord. Then Moshe said to Aaron, this is that Lord spake, saying, I will sanctify them that come nigh unto me, before all the people will be glorified. So that seems to be not related to any kind of strange fire. It's, it's called strange fire. Maybe that's the reason, because it's strange, whatever that means. But then uh, Moses tells Aaron something else, and it's not clear what it is. And Aaron held his peace. Again, Leviticus 10, 1 to 3.
If you look at the collection of, of the Chazal, of the sages' explanations, uh, what I like to do is analyze them, group them, uh, classify them, and have a schema which can teach us how to approach other passages in a similar way. We start with the premise that the number of offered explanations directly correlates with the magnitude of the difficulty. That's the general principle. The more explanations you have of something, the weaker they are each in themselves, and the less completely they solve the problem. So, what it tells us is there's a gap, and there are different ways of solving the gap. All of the verses, all the verbs in the sentence are in the past perfect form and utilize the device of Vav HaHifuch. In other words, that the past is changed in the future with the addition of this conjunction Vav, uh, or, or the future is changed into the past. The only one word that's clearly in preterite, in indefinite past that ended and was not continuous, is the word, this is what the Lord spoke. So that... Um, indicates that it's actually preceded that of the other verbs in the in the phrase. We've spoken about this before, the combination of past perfect and preterite. The preterite is the action that happened before the past perfect. So that suggests that whatever the God, God spoke, whatever the Lord spoke, saying, I will be glorified, that Moses says to Aaron, preceded the, the story. He spoke before, Nadav and Avihu took their censors, etc., etc. So, this leads us to first way of reading, which is reading forward. There is something that God spoke before the entire episode, so we need to look for that. That would be reading forward. Uh, this is how we are comfortable reading nowadays. The background presented before the current paragraph or sentence was presented to foreshadow and to provide intelligibility to explain to us what we're reading now. The second way of uh, reading is reading backwards. The sages did that in regard to this passage as well. The third way would be an appeal to the immediate context, and now let's look in this few sentences for clues. Four, appeal to distant context, including descriptions of the event or person in other places. That's, what do we know about another view uh, elsewhere? Not much, but something. And uh, descriptions of similar events, situations of people. You can also broaden your search and talk about human behavior or psychology or other wisdom books. Or you could look to theology, etc., Today we're going to read only about reading forward and reading backwards. Um, so, again, there are six possible ways to obtain the information to fill in the gap. And of this, we are only going to talk about reading forward and reading backwards. We can also read to the middle we're doing here in our passage in Genesis, which they also did in this passage. But here, let's take a look at reading forward. 
the defining explanation would be in the preceding verses. So numerous Midrashim temporarily relocate the sin of Nadavavihu to the preceding sections. Not that they took strange fire, but they did not take counsel of Moses, Aaron, or each other. So it was because they taught halacha in front of Moshe, their master, because they didn't counsel him. And uh, seek counsel from them, as you can look at Yalkut 5.24.10 and Torah's Kahanim locally and see that kind of an approach. Reading backwards would be looking for clues after the passage. And what's after the passage is a commandment to Aaron not to drink wine when entering the holy. Ergo, this was the sin of Nadav and Aviu. Uh, they entered, therefore Abishmael says they entered after having drunk wine. And the proof of it is that, that after description of their death, he warned the remaining ones that they should not enter drunk into the holy place. You can see Rashi to Leviticus of Aikra 10.10 from Tanhuma Acharei 6. Here the parsha that immediately follows provides the information to explain this one. And, of course, the reading of the middle, if you look at the passage, you will see that the middle has something to do with the foreign fire or what Moses said to Aaron. And then you'll find these explanations as well. So this is just an illustration. I want to show how you can read forwards, how you can read backwards, how you can read to the middle. So this is an important approach, uh, important methodological uh, technique to try to figure out what the meaning of the passage is. Just to review what we said in the beginning is that um, if, if you look at the middle of the narrative, if you look from the beginning to the end, you'll find that the word chai is there, create. The man became the living soul. That can joined to the ending, which is that the woman became the mother of all life, shows us the progression and the point. We were eternal, we were going to live forever, but because of our disobeying the Lord's command, we have lost individual immortality, but we've gained immortality through children. Uh, this is reinforced in the following section when the woman says, Kanisi es Isha Hashem, that I acquired a man with God. In this in the in the in, the, in talking about Cain. Uh, immortality now, high life, is uh, that of the family, that of progeny, that of continuing the humankind. Uh, the other fulcrum of the story is, if you count from chapter 2, the actual creation story referring to men, where you find that the middle is about men and women. And that indicates the other important part, 
in everyone's individual life, the most important question is, who is my partner? Uh, marriage is the way traditionally men and women join together to create a family. That remains the biblical view. Well, thank you very much for listening. May the world be soon in peace and may you have only blessings.